I was baptized as, baptized as a fifth grader, which is, what, 10, 11 years old. I didn't grow up going to church, but a teacher from my school had invited me to an after-school program at the Free Methodist Church of Pratt, Kansas, as a third grader. Every Wednesday, I learned Bible stories and did crafts and played games until my parents were off of work, and eventually, I asked if we could attend on Sundays. We did, for a few years, and it wasn't long before Pastor Floyd brought up the subject of baptism for me and my mom and my little sisters. In preparation, the church gave me a Bible to read, which I did a bit, because I was a kid known to read things like electronics manuals when I was bored. So Pastor Floyd came to our home one night to sit down and talk about baptism with us. He was a kindly old man who slicked back his sparse gray hair with gel. He smelled like aqua velva and stale cigarette smoke. I don't remember anything of what he said to us that day, though it was probably the standard things that I say now about dying to sin and being raised to new life in Christ. But I do remember the moment when he asked if we, uh, if any of us, had any questions. My hand shot up because, boy, did I have questions And I had a particularly burning one that had been bothering me ever since I had started reading this Bible they had given me. Why do we worship Jesus, I asked. I mean, Jesus in particular. God I was cool with, but this other person seemed, like, unnecessary, even even wrong a little. Like, you know how in the Bible it says that we were supposed to only worship one God— and that God's name was God, not Jesus. And Jesus says it's not he who's good, but tells us to worship God. I trailed off at this point as I looked over and caught the full blast of my mom's red-hot, melting laser death glare, daring me to say one more word, the 11-year-old heretic questioning the very foundations of Christianity and shaming the family before the pastor in our home. I don't remember a word of Pastor Floyd's answer to me, only that weeping and gnashing of teeth awaited his departure. Why Jesus? I had no idea then that I would eventually spend my life's efforts trying to answer that very question. But a good start might have been this first chapter of Colossians that Diana read for us a little bit earlier. It's our second reading today. Scholars aren't sure who wrote this letter, though the words are attributed to Paul in the text. It's not considered authentically Pauline. They do agree that what we heard read today, though, was a hymn, uh, a song, because all our best ideas are best translated in music. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Jesus loves me, this I know. All you need is love. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. This hymn that we heard today sings that Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
Now, when you start to read the Bible left to right like any other book, what you begin to pick up on pretty quickly is that images of God are forbidden, right, in the Old Testament. They call it idolatry. This is understandable. If there really is a force beyond all-knowing that all human lives are merely breaths of this eternal changelessness, then making it into something you understand or can see or can predict automatically makes this God small. And at worst, that God becomes a projection of you and what you want God to be. So no images, God says, forbidden. But as the story goes on, we kept making them. It turns out we needed them. I I think ideas and realities are very different things for humans. I mean, think about what it means to believe in mercy, right? We believe that this is a good thing. We feel warm feelings when we think about it. But then compare that to the feeling of when you actually showed mercy and forgave someone who hurt you, what it costs you, the time it takes, the process of it, ideas and reality. Do you know how many years I spent in church before I realized that reconciliation was my calling too, not just a good idea? God became one of us because we needed him to, or at least I did. All of our questions about love were answered by an action, not a treatise, not a book. Hear how Colossians continues. In him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. I was a politically oblivious person as a fifth grader, you might imagine, even despite my dad constantly blaring Rush Limbaugh on his car radio. But this hymn said, you know the way the world works, how it's all geared to make you concerned with only your wealth and control and looks and acquisition, your convenience, the way shopping works for you as a form of therapy, the way the worth of human lives can be calculated into a numerical quantity. This hymn saying that Christians were not an exception to the rule of the way that the world worked, but that the whole universe was actually governed by a presence who lived by rules totally opposed to the world we created. It was the empire, the machinations of human beings, that was the exception, and one day would be put right. Baptism frees us to act in such a way as if God were in control, not empire. For in the fullness, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, Colossians sings. 
And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or on earth, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Why Jesus? We saw that God's answer to our endless cycle of violence and revenge was God's emptying of God's self and entering it, taking it on. Jesus would stop the process of keeping score and getting even. Now, our response to anyone who throws a wrench like that into our systems of power and control is always to add on more violence and oppression. But Jesus' response was totally unexpected. We were waiting for God's vengeance for our wrongs and were shown peace. He was pleased, it says, to reconcile us. Why Jesus? Maybe this answer wouldn't mean much to a fifth grader and uh, much less to a baby like Madison, maybe a little more to the freshmen in high school that we're baptizing at 11. I don't know. It's certainly not something Pastor Floyd could have said in an hour's meeting, and neither can I. I think that's the point of God's revelation coming to us, not in a book or in a place, but in a human being. It says, you'll have to live this life to understand. Now your life is a part of the revelation.